everybody. Welcome to a special episode of Two Direct Fans. Gab and I are recording our Abby Wambach retrospective. Abby Wambach is retiring soon. She has one game left on the victory tour in New Orleans, and then she's going to say goodbye to soccer. Gab, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a Guinness. Oh my goodness, it's Guinness. Uh, I'm drinking a Guinness because I cleaned out my fridge yesterday, and I have a butt ton of Guinness in my fridge. So I'm drinking all the Guinness until it's gone, and then I will buy more beer. Is butt ton like a metric thing or something? Uh, yeah, it's actually um, it's actually like cubic. Oh, it's a volume measure. Okay. Yeah, it's a volume measure, not necessarily like a, a weight or anything like that. What are you drinking tonight? I'm just having a Coke and whiskey. Wow, what kind of whiskey? Johnny Walker Black. Oh, I know. Putting it's... that, putting that in Coke, huh? Yeah. I know. It's it's kind of a waste of Johnny Walker Black, but I needed the caffeine. That's okay. I had a whole French press of coffee today. So um, I got a massage earlier and I was like bouncing off the walls. I couldn't, I couldn't relax. So yeah, I get that. I'm hoping the Guinness brings me down a little bit so I can go sleep at a decent hour tonight. Well, we're here to talk about Abby Wombach. She's been in the game a long time. You could probably pick the beginning of her career. First year she played collegiate ball, 98. Mm -hmm. And it's 2015. So that's 17 years. It's a long time. I know. That's that's a long ass time. She's old. 17 years, 184 goals, 254 caps so far. Yeah, University of Florida. Pretty well known for churning out athletes. She turned down UNC. I believe when she uh, when she went to Florida, liked that they t taught her professionalism and stuff like that. Something we, we were chatting briefly about before we started recording was whether or not Abby ever got her degree from University of Florida. And as of 2012, she had not. Um, not sure if she's found the time since then. I know there's been a lot of golf and a lot of vacations a lot of uh, in between in between there. But um yeah, at University of Florida, she really accomplished a lot, but she didn't get her college degree, which I think is a talking point simply because back in 2001, you know, you couldn't make a living playing soccer. And she went into the WUSA draft in theory, like before she graduated. So she she went out on a limb and said, I'm I need to do this. Well, based on the timing of when the college cup is and the draft even back then she would have missed her last semester essentially of college mm -hmm. so she's what three or four classes away from graduating i'm not sure how florida does their credit system but one semester from graduating but you might remember she did a video for u.s soccer where she went back home to rochester and she talks to her father about her decision to go pro originally and she said that he told her you only have a short period of time, although hers ended up being 17 years, to be a pro <laughs> athlete. You've got to capitalize. You, but And school will always be there. You can always right, go back but... to college and get your degree, which is, you know, something economically stable people say. But anyway. Well, and it's something that people who don't have hundreds of concussions say. <laughs> that you can always go back to school and get your degree. So she took a risk. It was a leap. And it fits, I think, with the personality that she's talked about in the past few years where she's all or nothing. She's all in. Right. So she took a risk and it panned out for her. And now yeah, she's- Yeah, I'd say it's worked out pretty well. She's still one of the few female athletes, female soccer players, though, who can make a living 
being a female soccer player. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Is she making a living being a soccer player or is she making a living being marketable? Well, I think she's making just a living being a soccer player based on recent women's national team salaries. Like, I feel like within the past about five years, that's a viable thing. She's making yeah. bank being Abby Wambach. Yeah, being a Nike athlete, having Gatorade in her corner, probably still getting that Magic Jack money. Scott's lawn care, the light yeah. bulb people, Chipotle for life. Minus, I mean, minus the times when they she's... serve E. coli, but... <laughs> She is. She is a trailblazer. She is a bit of a cutting edge um, type of person and personality. Like I, I think Abby likes getting messy, and she doesn't like it when it's clean and simple. She wants to to kind of be cutting through through the rough to to try to figure out. Okay, how how are we going to do this? How are we going to make that happen? I think that that's commendable for her. And you know, she she survived three leagues. Um, she's one of very few players who, who have done that. Okay, well, let's go through her league play, because I think her beginning league play was her most auspicious in Wusa when she was playing with the Freedom, and she was kind of studying at the knee of Mia Hamm, who maybe saw right? her as her protege, and maybe her heir. She saw some hint of greatness in this kid, who decided to leap headfirst into pro soccer. And Abby Wambach is one of those unique situations where she didn't really come up through the U.S. soccer youth system. I think she had a couple of call-ups to maybe like the U-20s. They would have been the U-19s at the time. But she didn't really come up through, like progress through those ranks or get scouted that way. She got called up to the national team because she was kicking ass in Wusa for the freedom. She really benefited from having a pro women's league around. Which, when we talk about her later, may turn out to be ironic. Right. And I I think the other thing to point out, though, is she's a very different athlete than what U.S. soccer was including. At the time. At the time. She is freaking blunt object. You know, you put her on the pitch and and she's going to run right into you and through you and she's going to beat you. And I feel like U.S. soccer was was after a little bit more uh, finesse. Um, you know, this was the era of kind of pedigree where you were going to certain schools or you were in certain programs um, and getting getting recognized, getting noticed uh, and getting call ups at that point. So I think Abby wasn't necessarily handed the position that she eventually took, but she she fought for it. She she fought for it with everything she had. I think she fought for it really hard, and it didn't hurt that at some point Mia Hamm got in her corner. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're scoring goals, Mia Hamm's going to get in your corner. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Mia Hamm doesn't get in your corner because she likes you. She Mia Hamm gets in your corner because she thinks you can get shit done. Right. Like, you, you're not Mia Hamm and you pick favorites. Like, you're Mia Hamm and you're like, all right, I'm putting my eggs in your basket. Yeah, this kid's going to score a lot of goals for the United States. She's going to carry on the legacy. So, those Wusa years, those were prime. At, she was young. Um, She did mention that she didn't come out of college with, like, the best habits uh, in terms of work and health. And she probably still doesn't have the best habits these days, although she has to be a little bit healthier just in deference to her age. But I think she did imply that when she was a lot younger, she didn't eat right. She maybe didn't keep up with her fitness as much as she should have. 
but she made up for it with like sheer youth and strength and grit when when she could get away with it because she was you know 21 years old what what 20 year old it doesn't have the energy and the endurance and the strong headedness yeah she was and still is a pretty physically unique player which yeah. helped create a unique value to the team not just with the headers but an instinct for being in the right place at the right time. I say instinct, but that's also something that you can practice just by learning to read the game and developing your soccer intelligence. Maybe calling it instinct is actually doing a real disservice to strikers everywhere because yeah. you don't just know some all the time. Some people might, but for some people, it comes from long years of experience and studying the game, and that's obviously got to do some be a part of it i think well and she talked a lot about that after and we'll get to it but the 2011 world cup um and she talked a lot about reading the arc of the ball and knowing and just and just how it does become instinct but it's one of those things where you know is it uh nature versus nurture you can develop good instincts through yeah habit routine practice like the idea that uh, to become a master of something, you need to put in at least 10,000 hours. I would yep. believe Abby Wambach has put in 10,000 hours on the field learning where to be. Well, not only learning where to be, but learning how, you know, and this was a skill that she had to develop later on in her career. But how do I do what I need to do as a big player? A big target who's always going to be surrounded by other people. Exactly. And we we laugh about how Abby flops and things like that, but at, she she is always being targeted. It's just every once in a while, it's very obvious that she's going down way too easily. But I mean, name any striker, any world-class striker that doesn't understand that's part of the game. They all understand, but not everyone likes it or does it. And I'm one of those people who thinks that just because it's part of the game, that doesn't make it right. Like, oh, everybody does it. Like, but should they? Yeah, I, th I think it's gross, but it is what it is. It is what you it know? is. And I don't know, maybe she got some key tactical advantages out of it. So for her, it was worth it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, if you if you dive 20 times, do you get the call once? Like, what's your return rate? I feel like later in her career, her return rate increased because maybe... Sometimes refs who are newer or not as experienced or as her name and power and influence and infamy grew were like, I, Abby Wambach's in my face yelling at me that this is a foul. What do I do? Right. And I think, I think she, she's definitely an intimidating person. <laughs> she's about six foot. She's covered in muscle. She's got very intense face. She can be very loud and talk a lot very quickly yeah she's an intense intimidating person uh how many of these goals are just because of how intimidating she is well that is actually a question that somebody posed to us on twitter where how much credence do we give to you know were people or other players actually intimidated by her physically i think some of them actually were like you're a five six defender you know you weigh what 150 max and then you have Abby, who has 20, 30 pounds on you, running at you full bore with those crazy eyes. <laughs> Especially if yeah. she's already steamrolled you once, 
I give props to people who stand up to that, but I definitely understand any defender who their first instinct to see that is to cringe a little bit. Right. Right. And it's, it's a very uh, difficult topic and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it. We wanted to go chronologically. That was the game plan. We're going to go chronologically through this. And I, I feel like we're, we're bouncing around, but when you do talk about the number of goals that she has, at least with national team, um, that, that magic number 184, I'll be one of the first people to be like, really, is, is that a real number? Is, is that a fair target for any other player in the world to, to try to achieve? Because if when you look at the format of U.S. soccer and when you look at um, how many matches, like when you just look at the fundamentals of what U.S. soccer does and how they treat the women's national team, I'm actually surprised she hasn't hit 200 goals with, with some of the matches that they set up and the fact that we're in CONCACAF. So every time we have to qualify for anything, we're playing CONCACAF teams. If you subtract uh, a broken leg and maybe a few dry spells from her career, she could be pushing 200 right now. Yeah, absolutely. She could She could 10 more goals and she's she's right there. We <clears throat> covered Wusa. So Wusa folded in 2003, right? Mm-hmm. And then WPS didn't spool up until 0809. Mm-hmm. So that's a five-year gap. And mm-hmm. in between then, there was the 2004 Oops. Olympics the 07 yep. World Cup, and then the 08 Olympics. Just a lot of national team. And and honestly, that window, that gap, is why the women's national team is the elite, the most elite club in the United States. Abby was pretty big in 04. I mean, in the final, she did score the game-winning goal and earned United States the gold. So, mm, pretty good year. 2004, she's still, God, I have to do math, uh, 24, 25 years old. Something like that. Yeah, early to mid-20s. You know, she's, she's not quite ready yet to, to take the baton. I would argue Abby Wambach still isn't a mature team captain. I think she's a great motivator. I think she puts words together well and can motivate teams. But she's a bit of a hothead. Well, at that um, time, she still has Mia with their Foudy, right. Joy Fawcett, like all the vets brandy and stuff oh and oh four what heather o'reilly was still 17 18 she was a baby yeah they she was still... still the high schooler on, yeah. on the on the team i mean oh four was such a different tone and such a different world because abby was the new kid i think it was the beginning of the transition stage between that era of women's soccer into the next one that lasted until the 2011 olympics I mean, 2011 World Cup. Yeah, I mean, every, I think every cycle is like an eight-year cycle. Two World Cups in in a cycle. And for 2004, Abby was the new kid. Yeah, she still, she didn't have to grow up and be a leader because she still had her leaders with her. Right. She still had the adults. She didn't have to be the adult. And then in the 2007 World Cup, do you think the United States were favorites to win in 07? I think we were because nobody knew what was going to happen. You know, like yeah. 2007, it that's that's my first. I mean, aside from Abby, I've I've very much value education. Um so it's really hard for me to just like gloss over the fact that Abby didn't graduate and went straight into the pros. And I and I know that's like common practice now. But to me, that was like the first like little blemish on her resume. But the 2007 Women's World Cup, that's got to be the first like black mark on her career. 
Because of what she did to Hope. Or just because of all everything that happened and the fact that it took Abby years to apologize, apologize or right. publicly apologize or publicly try to like repair things. I mean, if you've read Hope Solo's autobiography, she definitely paints a picture where Abby sides with uh, the veterans and just immediately freezes her out. Mm -hmm. It's pretty unflattering. However you feel okay. about Hope Solo, I don't think that should change your opinion of Abby Wambach's behavior during this episode, though, because it only makes it worse if you think that she treated some beautiful paragon of virtue like this. I mean, Hope Solo is a complicated, complex person that has no bearing on how Abby behaved. Correct. But you know what? I understand. I'm not excusing it, but I understand it because she grew up in a culture where she was, you know, the protege of the veterans. She, she was Mia's heir apparent so of course she was going to side with them and she was going to kind of pair at the party line and to me that that is contrary to what abby's like code of honor is like this is the first instance of her breaking this ideal female strong female athlete mold team first stick up for each other yeah, like team first, like headstrong. I'm just going to do what's right. I'm just going to go with my gut. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I think in her mind, Hope was dividing the team. So she was behaving team first. She was trying to preserve the team when she saw someone was creating disarray. I think that maybe that's that was her motivation. Yeah, and, and it was it was very short-sighted. I'm not, I'm not saying that she the way she behaved didn't have its reasons. I want to say before 2011, when I really like tuned back into women's soccer, because I, I was tuned out for a number of years. Like you go to school, you life happens. And I tuned out and I was like from the outside looking in, just like, wow, this Abby Wambach is, is pretty cool. And I kind of idolized her. And then the more I learned about all these things that have happened, it's just like, wow, like never meet your heroes, man. No, because they all make human errors. And then you're like, oh, they're not an idol. They're, right. they're a human being. That really sucks. Okay. It's, it's not that they're a human being. It's the come down from idol to human being that really gets you. What happened in A was heartbreaking because it was a fucking World Cup. It was it was a chance for Christine Lilly to, you know, win her second. I thought it was and and over marketed that that was the year they had gold kits, gold boots, and Nike was really going going yep. all out with the marketing. But you know that that was a crash and burn. Although I do think if that were to happen now, the team would catch so much more flack than in two thousand seven when people kind of were paying attention but not really. Anyways. As I recall it back then, I, I wasn't as dialed into the team back then as I am now because it's it was hard to follow women's soccer back then. I feel like the 08 Olympics were the first major women's soccer tournament you could watch entirely online, streamed. The internet was not prepared for streaming before that, kids. <laughs> yeah, so after 2007's flameout, we come to the 08 Olympics and gosh darn it all, Abby Wambach breaks her leg. In the match right before... Yeah, the yeah. The send-off match. Like, the send-off match. It wasn't even qualifying. It was a send-off friendly. And they were... Against, against Mexico or something. No, like hilariously, that. they were playing Brazil. Oh, really? Yeah. She collides oh, with God. someone, tosses her around. You might have seen this on YouTube, because it's 
a pretty watched clip by now, I think. She just gets spun around. She's lying there. She's not moving her leg at all. And you can tell something's wrong. How many views do you think Meg's fine of that would have been? <laughs> it's an injury, so it's not as amazing as watching Tobin do her trickeration. <laughs> so I would say it would max out around 450,000. Oh, I, I I think it's got a good two million. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, opposite direction. Yeah. You know that's true. People Pe- do like misery. They like gawking Pe- at a people car like gore. Although the stapling of the head probably would have gotten more views. That would have gotten so many vines. Oh my god. So many vines. Meg should do a best of of just vines I'll and be- go back through and just like vine all this shit. Well, Abby breaks her leg and. <laughs> By now, you probably all know the story. She calls up Lauren Chain. He's like, get pack in. You're going to the Olympics. And they won gold without her, which I think she gave an interview where she said watching that was hard. I I mean, even if you didn't listen to an interview where she said that, you can imagine you're on the verge of going to the Olympics. You're like weeks out, break your leg, and you watch your team do it without you. That's got to be hard. You're going to the Olympics when you're 27, 28 years old. You're kind of in your prime. That's peak age for a lot of strikers, yeah. Like, you're kind of in your prime. Um, you're you're ready, set, go. And then suddenly you wake up next day and you've got a rod in your, in your leg. So I think that closes kind of one chapter on her life. And then the next begins with WPS, which oh, starts boy. 2009. Uh, WPS, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, WPS, I think they started thinking about it in 2008, where they were like, we need another women's pro league. So let's try again. And it actually started in 2009 and she went back to the Freedom, which by then I think had kind of gained cachet as uh, a recognizable franchise name. And it had a little bit of authority or... I mean, Mia Hamm will help do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Washington Freedom was never like this unknown team in the league. They were no FC Gold Pride, but they were certainly always kind of like a household name because Mia Hamm played for them. Yeah, I think now had... WPS is in a position where they have to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this without Mia Hamm? Washington Freedom had the benefit because they had existed previously of a little bit of name recognition and that gave them a little bit of I don't know, seniority, something. A little more than... I mean, it, yeah. it gave them clout. Yeah, clout. A little more clout. So I think I remember hearing about this league being launched and feeling really just so excited about it. I was finally in Boston by then. So I was able to start going to Boston Breakers games. Ugh. Thinking about it, if only I could go back in time and tell young me the heartache and just absolute emotional destruction that was lying in wait for her. If I could turn back time. I'd also tell young me not to pet that stray cat on the porch because it was going to really savage her. So, yeah, I mean, at at the end of the day, I think the WPS, and we've, we've talked a lot about the previous leagues, they were in a position where they didn't see a lot of success quickly, They and they needed to in order to maintain viability. And unfortunately, the Washington Freedom was one of those teams that didn't last the three years. And unfortunately, this was another league that only lasted three years. And so what what happened in 2011? So people who are recent to soccer, I don't know if you can understand just how confusing and weird it was to kind of be sitting through all this stuff. 
uh, Twitter was kind of newish then as well. I, I mean, I joined Twitter in 09 and I was not at all like there wasn't a Woso Twitter. Yeah, I think I joined Twitter like in 08 or 09. And I at first didn't understand how to use it either. I was like, microblogging, <laughs> what is that? I'll just post that I ate a sandwich. Why do I only have 140 characters? Yeah. I think my first tweet was literally like eating a sandwich. I think mine was at like a porn star or something like that. Yeah. And then by the time the third season of the league rolled around, you could start seeing uh, women's soccer news breaking on there. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And journalists got on there and started uh, feeding information, feeding post-game quotes, things like that. But it was still all relatively unknown. There were kind of sort of watch parties online where you would find other people who were live tweeting the game. And you were like, hey, are you watching? Because I'm watching. Yeah, I don't even think we really used hashtags back then either. No, I think hashtags were born in like 12 or something like that. No, they were born a lot sooner than that, but we just weren't as good as using them back then. They just weren't as much of a thing. Oh, you think we're good now? (laughs) Shut up. I'm great at hashtags. (laughs) Hashtag brand. But I just remember going to the, the WPS website to check the schedule for the third season and seeing instead of Washington Freedom, I saw Magic Jack written on its schedule. I had no fucking clue what that was because once again, women's soccer Twitter was not as explosive as it is today. But back then I was just like, what is going on? What is this some kind of typo? Is it like a placeholder name? What's happening? Well, and not only that, but teams were folding left and right. Yeah. Remember uh, Athletica? So it was, it was very difficult to track is a team folding or somebody actually bought a team. And like when, when that news broke, when it broke that, Hey, here's this affluent person who really wants to invest in women's soccer. Nobody suspected what was going to happen. I think some people suspected, but they were very deep in like research and stuff and ahead of the game. The rest of us were like, Oh, thank God. Because at this time also WPS was dying. Like you mentioned, right. teams are folding like the Athletica. I think the owners cut and run with the money, actually. Something like that. They were not trustworthy. Well, and this is also the point in time in history where we're getting skirt shorts. What's that combination? The squirts? Oh, no, squirts. the squirts like, were in the first and second year. Puma tried to make that shit happen. They made like this unif- like unitard that you had to step into and zip yourself into. Yeah, it was like a a weird like lacrosse, women's lacrosse or field hockey uniform thing. Squirts. So in season three, the old owners of the Freedom, who had been with the Freedom since the Woosa days, the Hendrix, Hendrixes? Hendrix? (laughs) The Hendry. (laughs) (laughs) The Hendry. They they wanted out. (laughs) So they found a buyer, and his name was Dan Borislow, and he was mostly known for this product, Magic Jack, that was like um, this little dongle that enabled you to make VoIP calls. And what he did was he took this team that had a vaunted history in women's soccer. I think at that point they were the longest continuously operating women's team, because in between WUSA and WPS, they'd also done like W League or something. Yeah. Um, They'd been around since like 2001. Yeah. He took them, took... The whole shebang moved it down to South Florida so that they could play like in a compound behind his mansion or whatever and renamed them after his little dongle, Magic Jack, a name that had no resonance with women's soccer fans and was all about catering to his ego. But he had a lot of money and WPS needed money, so they let him get away with it, whatever. And Um, he used to drive a Batmobile 
golf cart three-wheel drive thing. Yeah, if you want to know about his shenanigans, all you have to do, I think Deadspin did a great investigative piece on the things that he did um, where he would ask players to call him daddy, sexually harass them. Oh my them. god, it was horrible. Like, I mean, if these are the reports that made it out, imagine what he was like, like the stories that we haven't heard. And then right? obviously, I think most people have read Ella Masser's blog about how he treated her. Even if right. Dan Borislow only did this to Ella Masser, his treatment of her was so bad, I just can't excuse someone who sided with him if they knew what he had done to her. So, well, and it comes back to what happened in 2008, or seven, the Hope Solo incident. If I'm picking up what you're putting down, you think that this ties into kind of Abby's tendency to side with, I don't want to say whoever has Whoever has the most weight. Okay. She's a survivor, you know? I mean, we do know that Dan Borslow talked her up. He talked up all the national teamers. He probably lavished them with gifts, attention, praise. He paid Abby a lot of money to be in his little dinky Magic Jack commercial, which is hilarious. If you can still find a copy of it anywhere, I highly I think encourage it's you on to YouTube. watch it. It's great. Abby Wambach's pretending to be on a cell phone. She's acting. Acting. Capital A, acting. I'm sure she gave some she, tips to Carly Lloyd. It's almost as good as her Panini Press ad. Almost. It's just so low-key and, like, low-budget. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But she, she apparently got five figures for doing that commercial. Oh, for sure. I mean, Dan, so how he rocked the boat, this was a period of time where women's soccer was scraping the bottom of the barrel for any resources that they could get. And suddenly the Magic Jack players are living in high-rise condos. Like beachfront beach property. Boca Raton. You know, and they they are still, like, they still have roommates and all that stuff. Like, Dan Borslow is why people were scared when Merritt Paulson bought the Thorns. That's a good point. I think what happened with Borslow was, you know, he has a daughter who plays soccer. He was interested in it. He wanted to own his own franchise. And he looked around, saw what he could afford. And he's like, oh, it's pretty cheap for me, relatively, to buy a women's soccer franchise. I think at that point, you needed, like, a million-plus really to buy in and how and the, and the hen dry were ready to go yeah and and then he he wanted to run his own harlem globetrotters essentially but for yep. women's soccer there's so many nightmare stories about how he refused to hire trainers to take care of the team like athletic trainers to tape them up and stuff because he didn't believe in them he'd try to take part in their practices and play with them he'd micromanage the coaching I think this is probably the biggest blemish on Abby Wambach's career, that she yes. went along with this. She went along with it and still does. And still does. When she broke the record against South Korea and she gave a speech to the crowd, she thanked Dan Borslow for flying in her family. And this was well after WPS had folded. It's been well documented what an ass Borislow was about WPS and to players who weren't on the national team. She can't be unaware by now of the things that he's done or that he's reported to have done. I can understand loyalty to somebody who's stuck by you in a difficult time, but to publicly praise someone who did some really awful things, it's part of that bump of landing on Earth after falling off that pedestal where you idolize somebody. It just, it hurts even more. 
which is unfair to her. It's unfair to her to place that hurt on her. I'm just saying that's how I felt, but man, it hurt. And, and it's, it's one of those situations or it's, or it's a position that she's in as this elite athlete where unfortunately we live in a society where we put them on pedestals and we expect them to behave superhuman and to be these idols and especially in women's sports you know dan borslow is was was sorry um a blemish on women's soccer and unfortunately abby is right there next to him at least in 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 my mind you know i honestly the way she stands by him the way sarah huffman stands by him I'm just going to say it. I think there's blackmail involved somewhere. I thought that for a while, too. I was like, well, maybe at the time he knew that she was dating Sarah Huffman, but she didn't want it publicly known. Right. I, which I think you could have reasonably inferred from her behavior. She wasn't necessarily hiding it, but she certainly never seemed to ever want to talk about it. Right. And, you know, and th- this is another thing that I'm sure we'll, we'll get to is, is her coming out that was lackluster. And right. not that it needed to be written in the sky, you know, but but it's one of those things where if you followed WPS, you knew that those two were together. Right. And I think I think there was a little bit of blackmail involved there. And I think that there must still be in some way, shape or form. Well, I would almost prefer to believe that he had something that ensured her silence or her loyalty rather than believe that she willingly sided with a man like this. Right, but then she's a person that can get bought. Like it's 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 a double-edged sword no matter how how you slice it. Like there's no unless unless she's doing it to protect somebody yeah. and it's this huge like noble thing. It's just it's this icky 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 thing that happened in women's soccer and unfortunately it's distracted us from the awesomeness that was 2011 which caused both of us to come back to the sport from i would say about 04 to 2010 i was pretty sporadic in how i followed women's soccer because you know it just wasn't as present as it was online as it is now you can stream games on youtube what no it was expensive yeah there was this huge gap where i just didn't follow soccer as much because i didn't have access to it even with wusa i couldn't like it aired on PAX. Who yeah. got PAX? Nobody. You're, and you're not and you're not about to go into a bar and be like, hey, can you put on PAX? There's a <laughs> women's soccer game on. I didn't even know where the bars in my town were when Wusa existed. I was Oh, you were such a baby. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have access to a car either. Oh my god, you were such a baby. I lived at home with my mom and dad, like a child. Oh. <laughs> oh. Shut Did up. they tuck you in at night and everything? No, technically I was at boarding school, actually, while Wusa was going on, which once again didn't really have cable, Yeah, and there were 200 girls vying for the same TV, so... So it was a wrestling match every night, right? Even if we had had packs, I would have had to fight them off, although to be clear, I would have won. I'm just saying, boarding school's just a constant wrestling match, right? (laughs) I mean, in some ways, yes. Okay. I just, I was, I was just looking for you to validate something in my brain. What what living in an all girls dorm is like when you're coming of age hormonally and emotionally, perhaps. <laughs> per- these are these are things I have not experienced in my life. So honestly, it's not that great. I know. I, I figured as much. 
but it's always fun to tease people who did go to boarding school and just being like, yeah, so it, it was all the fantasies, right? I mean, always having to wear flip-flops in the shower. (laughs) That's a fantasy. That sounds like, that sounds like college. Yeah. It was just college a few years early. Yeah. When you're even more awkward. But with shittier facilities and more acne. So yes, um, Magic Jack, it's this huge stain on her career. And honestly, after she retires, after a couple years of space, I wouldn't mind a journalist asking her, given what we know about Dan Borslow, like either give her a chance to refute it or ask her like, if this is true, do you regret supporting him in any way, given how he probably helped set back women's soccer, even though the league was already in trouble? It's not like he helped. He made the situation worse. No, suing the league does not help. And running the team against all league standards doesn't help. Yeah, and not playing uh, at an actual, like, real field doesn't help. Yeah, a regulation field with appropriate signage and athletic trainers in an appropriate geographic location that's going to bring in a lot of people instead of some dinky little sub-2000 seat personal stadium. That he ended up getting banned from. So So, for someone who talks so much about wanting to help progress the game, do you regret siding with this guy? This is the only chapter in in her memoir that I want to read. I'd want to read that chapter and anything that deals with negotiating with U.S. soccer with CBAs or playing surfaces. I doubt that that'll be in there. (laughs) Like they don't have a fucking CBA right now. Like, who the fuck goes three years in a union without a contract? I don't know, dude. Who the fuck is playing in a league doing double duty? They are doing double duty, and they have not negotiated a new contract. I mean, we'll save that for the next episode. Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) Talk about getting my blood to boil. So I think that brings us up to the 2011 World Cup, which was... Well, we're going back in time now. Oh, a little bit, yeah which I think was the pinnacle of Abby Wambach's career. It was peak Abby. Peak Abby, peak. She got a haircut. <laughs> she got the haircut. I think she started- she got She got the haircut for the Women's World Cup. It was the thing. So in 2011, I was, I was near the tail end of a really bad breakup. Ooh. And we bonded over Abby's new haircut. <laughs> Like we reconnected over Abby's new haircut because my jaw hit the ground and I was never like into Abby like that. And I was just like, holy shit, she did it. Like this is her coming out. A lot of people bonded over that haircut. Uh, I I would believe so. Like that was a very good improvement on the previous style. And I think that, that was I think that was the year Lauren Chaney started speaking up and helping abby in the (laughs) style department starting with abby no more animal print cowboy hats let's start small and move (laughs) on from there yeah abby how do you feel about the point like do you really like the ponytail because i think you would look hot with short hair well that's all she needed she just needed somebody to tell her that the thing is though it's more than just a haircut because going all the way back to her college days she shaved her head in college well, got... yeah, but that's that's a different hairstyle than no, what no, no, she no, had no. in 2011. It's, it's not about style. She shaved her head in college because she felt free to do it. She was young and she was, you know, at the time, like, away from home. And and I think it's it's fairly well known that she got told, essentially, you can't have that hair and represent the national team. 
That's Correct. that haircut is not going to fly in the national team. We have a, a certain image, and that is ponytails, girls of summer, palatable to middle class white American families, heterosexual families. You need to grow your hair out. So between college and 2010, she grew her hair out. You know, she just had her little chin length bob with her, or her ponytail. And then finally in 20, between 2010 and 11, like right before the World Cup. Like right before. Yeah. She finally felt secure and comfortable enough to go, I want short hair. I want short hair again and I'm going to get it and I'm going to look damn good. Which she, yes. When you think about how long she went with that long hair, partially because someone told her on the national team, we don't have short dikey hair. It kind of makes me sad. Maybe she wanted long hair for a period of time and she was okay with it. But based on, you know, shaving her head and keeping it short in college, at least for some of that time, maybe she wanted to try something different. And she finally got the chance to. She, you know, she finally felt comfortable enough to. But it took how many years? What, seven, eight years for that to happen? That really fucking sucks, man. So Abby looked amazing in 2011. (laughs) She was fit. She was boss. She had short hair. She was dominating. And then the cross from Pino came through. That was such a watershed moment for the game. For for her professionally, for her as the face of women's soccer, it was such a watershed moment for women's soccer, but also for American women's soccer. And I think for the sport internationally, just elevating the image of women's soccer that people had in their minds. Absolutely. That was right there was the moment. Like I still get chills just thinking about yeah. it. I'll tell you what I did the day after that quarterfinal. I went to a newsstand and I bought every single paper I could find that had a picture of that moment on it. And I still have them, like the New York Times and the Boston Globe, like the Washington Post. If it wasn't on the front page, at least it was on the front of the sports section. It was huge. It was everywhere. Maybe I'm, I've got blinders on, but I feel like that was one of the cultural moments in sports of the year. And I, I agree. When you look at the ESPYs that year, the United States Women's National Team was like a late entry because they were yeah. bossing so hard in the tournament. And the ESPYs were like, oh, we actually have to include these guys last minute. Sorry. And then they won the award and had to send in their thank you video from Germany. They had all like six players that were involved in the play. <laughs> yeah. In the thank you. Yeah. Like it's it's iconic. It's It's an iconic moment in sport. But it's in our sport. It was so iconic that when they came back, people thought they'd won the World Cup. The image had overtaken reality in people's minds, or they had stopped watching on the assumption that... Yeah, that's that's a goal from midfield. That's a hat trick in the first half of a World Cup final. <laughs> in the first, like, 25 minutes. Yeah. Do you, do you want to hear my uh, interesting connection to that, that moment? Always. I was actually in New Orleans when that happened. And I just realized that. Like, Abby's last game is going to be in New Orleans. And when she scored that goal against Brazil, I was watching from a hotel room in New Orleans. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think I think that's kind of beautiful. Well, you bring that up. It's It was such an iconic moment. I think most women's soccer fans remember where they were when they saw it happen. I was sitting in my room watching a stream on my computer in the dark and I just 
was I was dying thinking that we were going out. And then that happened. And I just remember rocking back and forth in my chair and sobbing. I was crying. Um, I was in I was at a conference and it was a Sunday morning. And I was supposed to be at a session that started at like 10 a.m. or something. And I think the match started at like 10.30 or 11. And I skipped the session. I felt really guilty about it. But I was like, fuck, I really want to watch this game. So I, I was kind of using, like, people were skipping uh, using the excuse they were had to attend church. Um, so I kind of followed that and was like, yeah, you know, I've got service I want to get to. But How dare you use Jesus for your nefarious I did, I did. <laughs> I did use Jesus to get out of going to a boring <laughs> conference session. But I was up in my room, and I was, like, totally dressed for the conference. Like, I was in my suit. I had my lanyard and was ready to go, and I was just, like, glued. And I kept telling myself, like, okay, you'll make, you'll make the 11 o'clock session. Oh, okay, you're going to go to the lunch. Because the match kept going. And going you know, and going and going. It, it just kept going. And I remember having a moment in my hotel room and then thinking, God, you, you have to pull yourself together and you have to go to at least one session. You know, you have to at least go be present at this conference. And I, I t- went down the elevator and I came out in the lobby and all of the TVs were on the game and Julie Foudy and people talking about it. And I was just like, what is this world? Little did I know, you know, that what women's soccer would turn into. It was such a watershed moment. I use it as a divider. I think about women's soccer before and women's soccer after. And the demand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, WPS didn't live up to it. Mm, yeah. You know, like like that's and, and it comes back to the apprehension that we had earlier this year about is the NWSL going to have a year four? Are we going to see a bump from the World Cup or is this going to be a detriment to the league? Yeah, With a tournament like that, either WPS was in such bad trouble or it was so incompetent that it couldn't capitalize on that World Cup and fold it anyway. With, you know, Dan Borslow kind of poking the beast all along. Well, I think I think it just didn't have any traction at all, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas at least NWSL, like at, at least it was it was trying to to get a grip in the market, so it could realize a bump. But I feel like WPS just it was this recipient of something that it was very like homegrown or very mom and pop, and they were just like, "Fuck, we don't know what to do." So we've gotten through 2011. We've gotten through Dan Borislow. Do you want to talk about the 2012 Olympics? Yeah, I think I think the the Olympics just was carryover. Momentum wise, yeah. I think Abby's still in great shape. I think she's still riding riding high. You know, she she was nominated for the play, FIFA pl- Female Athlete of the Year. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I think the goal was even nominated for something. And we still had Pia at the time, and everything was. Just, I mean. The, the thing that stands out to me about the Olympics, aside from the rematch of USA-Japan, was the game against Canada. Oh, my God. I don't know if I'm ready you to know? talk about this again at all. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I, I guess I guess to me, like, I know Abby was fit. I know Abby was participating. But that was Alex Morgan's tournament. That was Megan Rapinoe's tournament. I, think I don't that- think Abby had had a huge influence in that tournament 
honestly, I feel like 2012 was, yeah, the beginning of her kind of decline in terms of goal scoring and physicality. Everything went into 2011, and it's like her body used up everything that it had in 2011 because they that was her year to win the World Cup, and tragically mm-hmm. they didn't. It was Japan's year. It was her peak. 2011 was she, her peak. She peaked in 2011. And she wasn't horrible in 2012, but she that's when we started seeing Flopper Abby. No, she wasn't horrible. That's, she scored five goals in the Olympics. Yeah, that's she, she, wasn't, she wasn't bad. But no. again, you know, I don't think it was Abby's tournament. I thought Lauren Holiday really stood out. I think Mega Rapino really stood oh, out. Yeah. I think Alex Morgan really stood out. 2012 was the year she won the Blonde Or. I feel like it was partially carryover from 2011, that amazing performance. But Homari Sawa had to win in 2011. Like, she had to. Yeah. Well, and in 2000, and, or, you know, Marta was still being nominated for shit then, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> we can't we can't put a lot of weight into these FIFA awards. No. Well, that's 2012 and that brings us to NWSL when she was allocated to the Flash. The thing with allocation is she's stated now in 2015 that she may not have wanted actually to go to the Flash. Players are asked to list their top 3 choices and Abby I think implied that Rochester geographically was not her choice. But she recognized that because of her connection to the place and her name and how it was maybe a smaller franchise, she had to go there for the good of the club and the league. Which, if I'm from Rochester and reading that, maybe I'm a little bit like, oh, like, damn, Abby, okay, it's like that. I don't know, what do you think? Um, I feel like I've heard that before. Um. <laughs> <laughs> maybe from someone, maybe Schmidney Schmaru? <laughs> So who the fuck wants to be in Rochester? Number one, I think that we've said it many, many times on this podcast that it is the odd duck. It doesn't fit the model aside from having owners and ownership team that wants it there. Um, You know, when we talk about what does NWSL 2.0 look like, is there really going to be a team in Rochester? Probably. Probably not. I think everybody was a little bit shocked that Abby was going to Rochester simply because that's not an awesome market to be in. Yeah, and I think if you look at average attendance numbers, they bear that out. I'm not trying to bag on Rochester. I'm sure a lot of people who live there love it. But as a women's soccer market, it's not great. Correct. But, you know, Abby Abby was able to lead her team to the final. Year one. Yeah. Um, and they had the final in Salem Stadium and they lost. They did. You and I were there. We've talked about that a few times. <laughs> oh, and something else happened too. What's going on at the same time as NWSL kind of is in 2013, Abby Wambach married Sarah Huffman in Hawaii in a destination wedding. And the way it came out was people started posting pictures on Instagram of this lovely destination wedding they were at and Abby and Sarah were dressed in white and it didn't really take, unless you were the most oblivious heterosexual ever to walk the earth and go, oh, they look so nice and matching white. Are they bridesmaids? Then you knew that you were watching a marriage ceremony between Abby and Sarah in Hawaii. And this was after Megan Rapinoe had very publicly and proudly declared that she was gay as shit in 2012. 
And then, so it wasn't it it shouldn't have been taboo anymore, but it was it was taboo because suddenly Abby wants to be private. Does she suddenly want to be private? Because I feel like she hadn't really talked about. It. Well, you know what? If you were watching their social media before that, once again, unless you were the most heterocentrist, like oblivious, oh that's so nice, you have a roommate, what's her name? kind of person, you knew that they were together and they were talking to each other like in the hashtags and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, two zero one four. Yeah, yeah, they they weren't exactly speaking in like Enigma code. You didn't need the fucking Bletchley code crackers to figure out what they were saying to each other. But did she really want privacy at that point? Because I feel like that's when she really started talking more about it. Although not necessarily in the most to me progressive way. At the time, she gave interviews where she was saying she's not really the most political person. She wants it to just be a total non-issue. And I get that. That's, I think, an admirable goal to shoot for. But the reality is, like, gay kids out here dying in the streets, dude. They're getting kicked out of their homes. They're getting converted. They're getting bullied, getting beaten up in school, getting, like, killing themselves. Now is when coming out is really, really powerful. Although, to be fair, I see it from the point of just existing, being out, having a normal life... And doing your thing, also setting an example, telling people, you can have this. It's not a circus for me. It's just how I exist. And that, too, can be your future. So I see both sides of it. But I don't really like when people say, I don't want to be political. Because guess what, dude? Whether you want it to or not, it is political. Yeah. It's it's impacting other people's lives It's at, at a certain point. You can't just put blinders on it. So again, you know, Abby, the pedestal athlete, gets knocked down a little bit because of the reality of the situation. Yeah, a lot of people, I feel like we're saying, oh, it's so brave of her to come out. But I feel like she didn't really come out. And this may, once again, to be fair to her, be a pattern of like the new coming out where you don't make an announcement like Pino, where you like give an interview. You just, in the course of your life publish information or talk about things that lets people know that you are queer Mm -hmm. which once again i see the value in that because it definitely normalizes just being queer but on the other hand public declarations and support there they still matter they still matter you know what i think what helps is that there's a variety of queer women in the game now who are out and they're doing things in different ways so you've got Pino, who's very proudly out and will talk about all sorts of LGBTQ issues and accept awards. And then you have Abby, who's like just existing as a queer person. Because you don't just have one person having to be the mouthpiece, they're both allowed to exist. And that's what happens when you have diversity. Like one person doesn't have to be all things uh, representation wise. It's one of these really interesting uh, positions where... Abby wants to be the face of something, but she doesn't want to be in the limelight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she wants to pick and choose what she's the face of, but that's not how celebrity works. Yeah, fair or not, I think that's true. So you take issue with how she quote-unquote came out and is now choosing to talk about being a, a gay person? Well, I, I don't take issue with how she came out. Like, I, t- I take issue with how the media outed her. And I and I always kind of have. And, and I get that the media is reporting on news. And that's newsworthy that Abby Wambach is gay. But nobody ever asked her, 
know, that was the big thing was when people did interview her and when people did, did talk to her about it, she was like, nobody ever asked. Abby had to have known that her teammates were going to like tweet or Instagram or whatever, because if they really wanted a social media ban, they would have been like, everybody's phones go in this pillowcase. Let's get this ceremony started. Right. So I think they knew in a low key way it was going to happen. And they're like, all right, whenever it happens, it happens and we'll deal with it. They knew it was going to happen and they were fine with it. I think that is part of, you know, the new coming out where you just let nature take its course. Which, once again, has its ups and downs. It has its good and its bad points. I think I'm done talking about Abby coming out. <laughs> Me too. I think we've... You know, it's it's just, it's this weird thing, like, where I want to be happy for her, but at the same time, I, I want you to own it. Honestly, I never thought she ever would. Even if she got married and started a family, I thought it'd be like, Abby Wombach and her nanny show up with their three children, you know? I thought that would yeah. be going on until 2020. yeah. That brings us up to 2015, and at the beginning of the NWSL season, Abby says she's not going to play. She needs to focus on preparing for the World Cup. Gab? Yeah. Yeah. She needs to focus on preparing for the World Cup. We talked about it on the show, that part of the problem with it wasn't necessarily focusing on preparing for the World Cup. Part of the problem was the way she went about announcing it. The context. Timeliness. The yeah. timeliness of the announcement and the context being U.S. soccer, like, not officially, but it's been known and players are now tweeting and players are talking about how I want to go to the World Cup, so they told me I have to come back and play in the NWSL. Hence, Amber Brooks coming back and Sarah Applehagen and... Yale Averbush and Lindsay Horan, Tiffany Kristen Weimer Dress, yeah. and like all these players that were on the bubble who gave up their careers in Europe. Maybe, maybe it was, it was a, a deciding factor, but you know, maybe they also wanted to come home, be closer to family. They were kind of done with their stint in Europe, but you know, it really only impacted players like Christian press. And now Lindsay Horan. Well, and Lindsay Horan, yeah, but we'll see finally, if she sticks around for a full cycle. Yeah, we'll see. She was her yep. her rights went to the Seattle Reign, but Laura Harvey took them knowing, I think, that Abby Wambach wouldn't be in this season. But when Abby Wambach initially announced that she wasn't gonna play, I believe that the Flash were planning their roster assuming that she was. Yes. Because it was what, January or something like that? And they were gonna go into the draft assuming that she was playing and it totally fucked up all their plans for how they were going to structure their team and i think in spite of that they did okay but not cool abby not cool and what it's just it's weird you know like it's just it was one of these things where we just came out of the men's world cup where landed donovan got denied a spot on that roster because in 2012 or 2013, he decided he needed a break from U.S. soccer. And they decided, you're too old, old man. You're not a team player. But like whatever, for whatever reasons, U.S. soccer said no. Um, the coach said no to Landon Donovan. And here comes Abby Wambach saying, I'm not going to play club because – I'm going to focus. And the rest of us are like, how are you going to train? Where are you going to train? Who are you going to train with? And she ended up, what, going to Portland and training on her own, like on the Nike campus and stuff like that? I think she trained. Yeah, I think she had some sessions with Laura Harvey as well. Yeah, maybe she might have worked with the Thorns a little bit? She was at a few of their practices, yeah. Yeah, which is absolutely not the same thing as regular 90 Minutes because 
And here's what I think the truth was. Her body couldn't handle 90-minute games anymore. It was broken. Correct. And we'd been seeing that deterioration in NWSL. Yeah, starting with NWSL. Like, after the Olympics, I think it was over. And I think she knew that her preparation was actually rest. She was Mm -hmm. resting her body so that she could give everything she had left in the tank to the World Cup. Which once again, plays into her all-or-nothing mentality. Yep, she was going to throw her body wherever it needed to go in order to get that trophy. And here's the confirmation of it. In the last, I think it might have been this one, or the San Antonio game, Julie Foudy was talking about how Abby Wambach admitted she has nothing left in the tank physically. She's just trying to get through the tour. She, you know, she can't work out the same way she did with the team. She can't practice. She can't play a full 90. She's getting subbed in for 10, 15 minutes at a time. She's mm-hmm. just trying to survive the end of the victory tour. And I think that's because she had like, you know, when your car's fuel gauge is on E, but you know that you can drive like another 20, 30, maybe 40 miles so you can get to a gas station sure. when the light turns on. I think her light turned on at the beginning of the NWSL season. And she was like... Uh, 2015? Yeah, 2015. Like yeah. it was near empty before then, but the light turned on and she was like, oh shit. I only have enough time to get to a gas station to fill up the tank. So I better use these miles as carefully as possible. And she used them all in the World Cup. And she didn't even get to the gas station to fill up the tank. She's like, I just need to have enough time to get home. Yeah. And then park the car in the garage and never drive it again. Exactly. And then this car is dead. <laughs> Morbid. Yeah. Morbid, I know. I know. It's it's being passed down to her kids. Aw. Aw. She'll be a good mom. She will be. She'll be she'll be an excellent mom. But yeah, I mean that I think that speaks volumes to her attitude, her perseverance, but also her ego. It definitely says something about how how she's willing to go all in, but also says what if that roster spot could have been used on somebody who would have helped the team win? The team got through group and early early knockout rounds by the skin of their teeth. Mm -hmm. A lot of things had to go wrong for other people for us to get through. Can you imagine in that semifinal against Germany, if Celia Sasich hadn't missed that penalty? Oh, my God. Totally different game. Oh, my God. Yeah, but but then JJ wouldn't have scored an own goal. I think you're right. It does speak to her ego, saying, I have to be there. I want a World Cup. And thinking that, you know, to put it bluntly, that she deserved it enough to take up a roster spot even when well, she... Well, and, yeah, and it was Abby's World Cup. That was the narrative. Although Carly Lloyd kind of was like, oh, actually... Well, I mean, they went to they went to Canada with game plan that this is Abby's team. Although, by that time, we were already speculating how she's going to be used. She's not a 90-minute player. She's going to be a super sub or she's going to play one half as a starter. Right, and unfortunately, through group play, she was a starter. And the the U.S. Women's National Team started to peak when Abby became a super sub. And part of me, part of me wants to believe that that was Jill Ellis being a fucking genius and wearing Abby out. (laughs) She knew she only she she so that she knew she didn't have it in her to own the the tournament after that. But then the other part of me is like, no, that's Jill Ellis, like seeing Abby's poor performance. You would like to believe that Jill Ellis did that thing where you let your kid run around a bunch before bedtime and then it's easy for them to just get 
knocked out and go to sleep? Yes. <laughs> okay. I, although, although no, like I, I don't actually give Jill Ellis that much credit. I think Laura Harvey could do that. I think Jill Ellis did believe in Abby as much as Pia did. You know, that's the other, that's, that's a whole other thing we haven't talked about is the fucked up relationship between Pia and Abby. Laura Harvey's diabolical. Jill Ellis is not diabolical. No, Jill Ellis is in the right place at the right time a lot of times. Hmm. Well, so that's, that's Abby's career to date. She's got one more game in New Orleans. We'll see if she scores any goals there or if she just kind of chugs it out the last 10 minutes and, and says farewell to the fans, which honestly is fine. Abby, you've do had you think, enough. Do you think that they're only going to give her 10 minutes? In that last game? I don't think it's a matter of what they want to give her. I think it's a matter of what she can do. I bet you Abby's playing the position of number 10. For <laughs> I, I think Abby's I think Abby's playing the number 10 position for a whole half. You know what? I bet Abby starts the game and they'll play her as long as they can and then they'll sub her out for the big ovation, the applause. They will play her well, okay, under that theory, I think she's gonna get how much how many minutes did Landon get? Half an hour? Like thirty three minutes? Yeah. Well, I mean, how symbolic will it be if Abby gets subbed out at the twentieth? That's true. It, it's because symbol- I bet you they're already planning a player chant at the 20th. Maybe they will sub in Abby late in the game so she can end her career on the field. Yeah, the I, final just, whistle. I, I think I think she starts. I think she gets the ovation at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think she has the little ceremony at the beginning. I think she gets to wear the captain's armband. I think she's going to saber a champagne bottle at kickoff. <laughs> And just pull up a lawn chair and sit there at midfield. Sit behind for, Alex Morgan or Kristen Press. Yeah, for 40 minutes. I mean, that's why I'm saying she'd be a number 10, because we're playing China. She she wouldn't be a 10. I would say more like false nine. Well, I don't think she'd be a striker, though. Like behind, like between Alex and Carly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I think she's just going to stay in, like if you drew the sphere, I think she's just going to stay right in the middle. Kind of between... And maybe take a shot or two, go up for corners, you know, try to try to hit 185. I think she might try for one more just to so that Christine Sinclair can go, oh, fucking hell. Can you just let me know what the actual final tally is that I need to reach? God, Abby. Can you can you just text me when you're done? <laughs> just let me know what the actual figure is and then we'll settle up. Like, will you just tell me what I owe? Because I got I got books I'm trying to read. Well, that brings us kind of to the close of the episode and we, where we can answer a few questions that we didn't answer uh, in the body of the podcast. And this one would be from uh, at DanceMast on Twitter asking, do you re- realistically think anyone will beat her goal record? Yes. Who do you think is going to beat it? The first one is going to be Christine Sinclair. I mean, Sink is at one fifty eight now. Mm-hmm. He just tied Mia Hamm. Um, and I think I think Sink still has four years left. She said she's going until twenty nineteen if her body will allow it. You know, God willing, knock on wood, cross all your fingers and toes. Please, God, please let her make it to twenty nineteen. I mean, I I think Sink has it in her to to beat that record. But I mean, that's what records are for. Records are to be broken. Abby herself has said she hopes people aren't talking about her in four years. She hopes they're talking about yeah. the next big thing, who's better than her. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to be Alex Morgan that breaks Abby's record. It'll probably be Christian Press. 
I would love it. It might be Crystal Dunn. Here's the thing, though. The nature of women's soccer is changing. So players like Abby and Mia, and to a certain extent, Sink, all started scoring during an era when it was easier to do it. Yeah. So that might play into preserving these records for a while, because as the rest of the world achieves parity, it's becoming harder and harder to score, even against teams, you know, five, ten years ago, you would expect to beat six nothing, seven nothing. And now these days, it's much closer to being a draw or a narrow victory. So I think that might preserve these records, if not for a long time, maybe forever, unless Kristen Press just decides to, you know, go fuck it and score hat tricks every other game. Or score every three minutes after she's subbed on. Yeah, because it took Abby 254 caps to get to this level. 254, like, that's a lot of games. That's also... Got what was the timeline earlier? Uh, w uh, WUSA folded in two thousand and four, mm-hmm. three, and WPS didn't start until two thousand and nine. Nine. So, so that's six years of women's national team as club. Not to mention all the games that they were scheduling to push Abby over that record hump. God, chasing Mia. Unless somebody else gets close, like if Kristen Press is like 170-some goals in U.S. soccer, something like, oh, we need to play the number 70 team in the world real quick, like a two-game series, then yeah, I think this is a record that maybe Sync will break if Canada soccer can get their fucking act together and schedule enough friendlies in the next four years to give her the chance to do it. But other than that, honestly... I don't know, the nature of the game is changing so much that it may not be possible to put up these kinds of numbers again in a person's career. I don't know. I, I think I think it is. I think you you remove Abby from the scenario and suddenly how many goals how many goals did she score in games that we all thought she didn't need to be playing in? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Now let's let's see what these new kids got. Let's see what they can do. Let's see what it's like when the game plan. I mean, everybody said it. Like Meg Rapino is quick to say, when Abby's in, you're she's your target. Let's see what it's like when when they are building a squad that isn't looking for that target. We'll see. A lot will change after 2016. Give it about eight months. And after the Olympics, burn it all down. Start over. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a brave new world in more ways mm-hmm. than one. I want to thank Abby Wambach for what she did to construct the world we currently live in. She did a lot, but like you pointed out on Twitter, I don't know, is that everything she could have done? Did she in some ways actually set soccer back for certain people? Is it fair to hold her accountable for having to advance all of women's soccer? Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, she she needs to be under the microscope and she's not just this hero. Um, and I think we've spent the better part of, of an hour talking about some of the flaws and she, but, but we also, we've also talked about how she is a sports legend and some of the things that she has done and the timing of those things are going to make her live forever. It's going to be immortal in the terms of, of like sports world, but I do think she could have done more. And that's human. You know, she could have been perfect. She's not. 
Um, and unfortunately, that's that's the reality of, of everyone. I think to the extent that Abby willingly takes on the mantle of being the face of women's soccer and advocating for it and pushing for it, she should be also scrutinized for her decisions. But at the same time, she's a human being, and I think scrutiny needs to take into account that she'll have her own issues like her ego, or her need to go all in or be all out with no middle ground. She has her strengths and she has her flaws. And I think what Abby really taught me was that athletes are human beings and that I shouldn't expect them to be all things to me. And that when they let me down, that doesn't mean I have to set them aside forever. It means I just need to see them in a different way. They're not gone. Like the person who I was thinking about is gone, but they never existed in the first place. That was just a fantasy that I created to hold on to because... I wanted something to aspire to, or I wanted to believe in something great, or because it felt good to to be a fan of something so great. But that's not real. And even though it's not real, that doesn't mean it's bad. It's, it's just that things are different. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of being an adult fan. Not like a little kid looking up to a player and seeing like a god. It's part of enjoying something as an adult, being able to accept the good and the bad. Well, because then the high is even more of a high when she succeeds and she surpasses your new expectation. I think that's a good way to put it. You know, because now you're in a position where you say, okay, I understand what's going in here. You know, Abby, (laughs) you know, she's the reason why I say never meet your heroes. You know, she'll let, she let me down a few times, but she's also surprised me so many times and surpassed what I thought was expecting of her and that to me is awesome and means that she she is a little bit of a hero to me still but I'm looking at it again with with your what you refer to as your your kind of like your grown-up lenses and so I'm really I'm actually really excited to see what she does next I think the analogy I'm going to use is when you're a kid and you see like Superman lift a car that's really amazing to you But when you're an adult, it's like, of course Superman can lift a car. He's Superman. What's impressive to me are those stories of, like, moms with their kids trapped under the car and then they lift it to, like, save their children underneath. Just tiny little person lifting 2,000-pound car. And it's like, you did this thing even though you were human. You did Mm -hmm. a superhuman thing despite yourself being human. And that makes it even more incredible. So you're right. It makes Abby's victory sweeter to think about her doing it as just a human being and not, you know, a paragon of virtue. We're, we're really waxing poetic tonight. I th- she inspires those kinds of feelings in people. She inspires feelings. She period. does. That's part of her legacy as a player. You know, she was so impactful. You can't help but have feelings about her, whether good or bad. So goodbye, Abby. It was an incredible, crazy ride. It had, it had its ups and its downs. It had its weird stretches in the middle where you kind of zone out. But it's going to stay with me forever. She's one of these players that's, you know, greater than the game. I wouldn't trade the experience of watching Abby Wambach play for anything else. No, I've seen... We've, we've seen her play live enough, and we've seen moments of greatness from her in person. And, you know, one of, one of my most fond memories of, of seeing Abby was in... It was, I think it was called the Celebration Series after the 2011 World Cup. The U.S. Women's National Team came to Portland 
and they played at uh, what was called Sheld Wynn at the time. It's Providence Park now. The um, and they played Canada. And I remember I went with a few friends, and it was one of my first like emotional reactions uh, as an adult to a game in person live. And, you know, Abby scored a brace and we were chanting uh, hat trick Wombach or Wombach hat, hat trick, I think was was how the chant went. And I was in awe, like completely blown away by her. And, um, you know, it's that romantic side of me that's like, that's the athlete. That's the person that I want to remember. But unfortunately, I'm an adult and I'm like, but I also know all these other things about her. And that's why you never meet your hero. I think that's a good place to end with your favorite memory of Abby. Why don't you guys leave your favorite memories of Abby in the comments, or you can leave your not so favorite memories. I think it's fair to talk about all the parts of Abby, good or bad. I agree. All right. Well, this has been the end of our Abby Wambach retrospective. We'll see you guys on Twitter during her last game in New Orleans. Peace. Peace.